Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. alternative, doesn't it? You're alive. And I know sometimes it's hard, but we need to remember, especially on rainy mornings like this morning, that the ability to experience life is a gift. The Bible talks about our lives on earth as the course of a race. That a God who knows us mapped out specifically for us a race we were created to win. Last week, as we started this message series, Built to Last, we talked about three things we're going to need if we're going to be able to run this race, which isn't a sprint. It's not a 100-yard dash. This is a marathon that's going to take a lifetime to run faithfully, and there are three things we're going to need if we're going to do it. We said first last week that you need a clear vision, so you run with conviction. I'm convinced that what we need on planet Earth is not more New Year's resolutions or more comparisons with how well we're competing on everyone else's track. What we need is a clear vision from God of who he specifically created us to be. And maybe right now this morning, if you're being honest, you'd say, you know what, at my best, I feel like maybe, perhaps, I'm just awkwardly stumbling forward in a general direction. That's what my race feels like. If that's you, I want to encourage you this morning. That when we come to the book of Hebrews and look at all of the heroes of our faith that are listed, that none of them knew the course God was mapping out while they were in the race. You understand that God told Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. He didn't know God actually meant that he was going to father the nation that was going to be at the center of the pulse of human history for the rest of time. David didn't know that he was a forerunner for the Savior or that his private journal entries would be taken and shared globally for people to sing them and that we'd come together and form worship services where even still today we sing modern psalms. Mary of Bethany... She didn't know that her zeal, where she just had to sit at Jesus' feet, was going to become an enduring picture of a life that abides with God. 
The Apostle Paul didn't know when he obeyed to write to a local church in crisis that he was writing scripture. Do you understand that? If the Apostle Paul could hear us quoting 1 Corinthians today, he'd be like, that's my letter. How did you get that? Peter didn't understand when he stood up to preach at Pentecost that he was preaching the first sermon for a global family named the church that Jesus, the hope of the world, is still building as the hope of the world to establish heaven on earth. They didn't know. They were just awkwardly taking the next step and and, and stumbling forward with the revelation they did have. So maybe this morning you're saying, you know what, I don't know the detailed map that God has for my life. Is that anybody? I don't know the detailed map of where the story's headed. Great! Because God said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And that's enough. We're going to talk in the weeks ahead about how you can actually see the word of God to you as a light on your particular feet and for your particular path. We need a clear vision so we run our race well. The second one we said, though, is this, that we need continual fuel so we don't burn out. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. What that means is if we have no joy, we have no strength. And whether you know it or not, you are hardwired by your creator that there are certain things on this planet that fuel you and certain things that spend you. There are certain things that fire you up and refresh you with passion, that remind you again who you are, and there are other things that just wear you out. And it's important that we recognize the difference between these so we run well. The third one we said last week was this. We said that you and I need a sustainable pace So we don't quit. The winner of the race of life is not the one who runs the fastest. It's not the one who has the most possessions at the end of the game. It's not the one with the fastest car or the most impressive title or resume or a crowd of followers. No, the winner is the one who discerns God's race for them and keeps going with him down the long road of obedience. So there's this verse that we shared that you're going to hear a lot in the weeks to come. It's from Galatians chapter 5. It says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In a culture we live where everyone is obsessed with checklists and movement and titles and comparison, we're going to step back and recognize healthy rhythms that God has given just for you so you can continue running. And listen, your rhythms are going to be different than mine because you and I receive and release him in different ways. So our biggest prayer as Overflow Church over the weeks to come is that in a new way, God is going to help you discover you. In this series, we're going to look at what it looks like to have a life with God that's built to last. To have a family, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, a spiritual family in community and with with spiritual kids that's built to last. A physical and an emotional well-being and health that's built to last. And a calling, the tangible way you actually release God's love back to him and to your neighbor that is built to last. And I got to tell you guys, if you can't tell this morning, I am filled with so much expectancy right now. 
I believe the number one thing you can do in the kingdom of God is just faithfully obey. And I know God has given us so many evidences over the past weeks that he said this is his message for you and for I, for I, for me, right now. I didn't do grammar, I did theology, y'all. He said that this is his message for us right now, so I have so much expectancy, because I'm going to tell you what God's going to do. Over the next weeks, God is going to align entire trajectories, family lines, things are going to change in people's lives. There are some of you right now that you're stuck, and you've been stuck, and you feel like you're idling out, but God is going to speak with fresh revelation, and you're going to be moving again and keeping in step with the Spirit. There's some of you that feel weary and worn out. And God is going to breathe over you in these next weeks, and you're going to find that it's you that is able to breathe again. So as we jump in, I want you to put your hand on your heart with me, and I want you to join me in expectancy. I want you to say this. Say, God, I want it. Okay, this isn't a root canal. I want you to say, God, I want it. I'm ready for that. My ear is to the ground. I'm listening. Come build my life to last. If we're going to do that, we've got to start with a life on a foundation of a life with God that is built to last. Now, three years ago, when we started Overflow Church, we started Overflow Church on one foundational core value. Before anything else came, we had one value that we said, we know as a church, this is who we're going to be. And the core value was called intimacy. That friendship with God is our greatest priority and our greatest privilege. You know, the Bible says that we're invited to be friends with God. Jesus said, I don't call you servants because servants don't have the right to know everything their master is up to. But instead, I've called you friends because everything the Father is saying to me, I'm sharing with you. What? He said, I've called you my friends. There are treasures and mysteries of the Father's heart. But because you're my friend, I'm hearing him and I'm saying it to you because he's called you to be his friend. In Greek, that word friend, it means beloved one. It means a close companion that you trust and you choose to continue to walk with. It means one that you're filled with personal affection for. Did you know right now, However you think you're doing on your scorecard, that's what Jesus says he is to you. It's what he says you are to him. Beloved, that he trusts you, that he's going to keep walking with you, and that right now, whether you do or not, he is filled with personal affection for you. You know what that means? It means that our invitation on planet Earth as followers of Christ is nothing less than actually spending our days as friends of God. So I want to take our value and I want to say it a different way. I want to say this for us for life in 2022. Friendship with God is our greatest privilege, so it is our joy to make it our greatest priority. Friendship with God is our greatest privilege, and so it's going to be our joy to learn how to make it our greatest priority. If you want a life that's built to last. You've got to learn how to prioritize your days more than anything else as a friend of God. I want to share in the next few minutes two practical ways we can do that. 
Now, one of the ways I'm going to share is a negative. It's something we've got to stop doing. So for any of you wondering, like, oh, is this just going to be pessimistic? Don't worry. We're going to get past that as quickly as we can so that we can get to the positive of how we actually build. Does that sound good? So the negative is first this. What do we need to do if we're going to walk as friends of God? We've got to stop believing old excuses and empty promises. We've got to stop believing old excuses and empty promises. I want to share three old excuses that are just tired, that we've been sharing in churches for way too long. And then one empty promise that we lift up. All right, the first one is this. Old excuse number one. I'm just in a busy season. Anybody bought that lie before? Right? I know you're saying that what we need to do is build our life on friendship with God, come close to him in intimacy, spend time with God. But, but, but Pastor Chuck, you don't understand. I'm just in a busy season. And what I mean is this. Things are just a little crazy right now. You know, for me to do the things that I need to do to be able to get rhythms where I can get footing. But, but I'm in a busy season, and I know that in a short period of time, that busy season's going to end. Here's my problem with our excuse, I'm just in a busy season. Number one, usually the people who say it are always in a busy season. You've been in a busy season since 1992. And the question I have to ask, and I'm preaching to myself here, is when are we going to stop blaming the schedule and look at the scheduler, okay? You say, I'm in a busy season. Great. Who's putting all those dates on the calendar? But there's a second problem I have that's bigger than this. Maybe right now you're saying, no, you don't get it. I actually am in a busy season. This is my concern when we say I'm in a busy season. Therefore, friendship with God needs to be on the back burner. I'm concerned that it reveals that we think friendship with God is an optional luxury, kind of like heated seats in our car. Like, it'd be nice to have, but I can get by in a pinch without it. But when we look at the life of, of Jesus Christ, who came as the firstborn among brothers and sisters, when we see his relationship with the Father, we see a very different picture. We have these stories from Jesus' life. And in fact, when Jesus is a child, we only have one story. Jesus is 12 years old. Do you remember this? Jesus and his family, they went on a trip together. And as they were coming to come back home, suddenly Joseph and Mary, we don't know when and we don't know exactly how, but they realized that they lost the Savior of the world. I've lost a lot of things on a lot of family trips. But I can only imagine the feeling when it's like they're walking. And I don't know if it was Joseph's fault or Mary's, but, but guys, I'm sorry. i got to put my money on Joseph's fault on this one. Okay, I've just been around enough guys, and I am one, and I'm just thinking at some point that was just the detail. He packed the camel, he got the food, he had the water, he just forgot his son. And if it was Joseph's fault, I want to imagine that it was hard for him to ever get past that. There'd be a future argument coming later, and Mary would be like, you know, you just always are missing the things that matter. And he's like, but Mary, I don't get it. Listen, I take out the trash, I help cook the food, I help the kids with homework, I'm working as hard as I can. Where is it that I'm forgetting? She says, you remember that one time you forgot teenage God? Yeah, that. So they're on this trip, and they lose Jesus. And what I love is when they come back and they find Jesus. Do you remember where he's at? Jesus is in the temple, and it says that he's sharing the mysteries of God, and he's astounding the priests. And what I love in the story is Jesus doesn't start with an apology. And Jesus, being perfect, was a kid that was definitely under his parents' covering. His response was this. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Where else would I be? I'm one with my father. I've got to be with him. When we read through the Gospels and look at the things that Jesus said, 
Four times in the gospel, Jesus says, I only speak what I hear my father saying. He says, my father is always speaking to me, and I've become content that you can define my life as this. My ears to the ground hearing my father, and every word I want to say is just his delight to you that I'm hearing from him and repeating to you. That's how connected I am with the father. Jesus talked, he said, I honor my father. In another place he said, my father knows me and I know my father. Yet another place he says, the father and I were one and I abide in his love. In Gethsemane, in the last hours of his life, before he was going to face a brutal death, this is what Jesus prayed out. He said, Father, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and I am coming to you. And I want you to understand that though Jesus is God, he wasn't saying any of these things as God. He was saying these things as the second Adam. He was saying these as the picture of the relationship with the Father he was restoring. We go further looking at the life of Jesus and look at what Jesus actually did. Now, I know you and I get our busy seasons and I know that we do important things, but can we just agree for a minute that the three years of Jesus' public ministry when he was, I don't know, saving all of creation, that that might have been a busy time on planet Earth? Can we agree with that, that those three years would have been a busy season? And sure enough, there are many times that we read that Jesus was in the midst of a busy season. And it says this, that Jesus often withdrew in the midst of busy seasons to be with his father. In fact, it shows up no less than seven times in the gospel. So for you Bible study language nerds, I'm one of you. I included the extra verses there you could check out. I just want to read one to you. Luke chapter 5, it says this. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I want you to understand that if anybody were to ask, what was Jesus' mission on earth? It was for people who were sick and broken and far, far from God coming back home. It was everything that crowds of people, what does that mean? More of them than are yet receiving, so they're lining up. The queue is getting longer. They're coming. It's everything he asked for. And in the middle of that busy season, often, Jesus hit a pause and he stepped away. Why? Because his relationship with his father, intimacy with his father, wasn't an optional luxury. It was his lifeblood. So he often drew away to be with the father. I've noticed this about us as a people. We have this tendency to relegate prayer to this box that we only bring out in two seasons of our life. Tell you what I mean. Season number one, where we bring out prayer regularly, it's when life is really, really good. It's when we've got everything under control, man. We feel happy, the birds are singing, the sun is shining, we're killing it with our routines, and so there we just go prayer walk. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Woohoo! hallelujah. Here's the problem. Life doesn't stay there long, does it? Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. We were told that everything that can be shaken shakes. And what I found for us as the people of God, that often what it shakes is our focus off of God and back to us scurrying to figure things out in our own strength. And it disappoints us every time. And so then we find that eventually, 
that leads us down the road to the second box we put prayer in. And that's when life is really, really bad. When we've exhausted all of our options and we're desperate. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, well, all we can do now is pray. Anybody ever heard that one? Anybody ever said that one? Don't turn yourself in. Here's my problem with that phrase. All we can do now is pray. It says volumes about how much I think we think this life is on our shoulders and how distant and separate we think our God chooses to be. I want to go a little bit further with this excuse, I'm just too busy. I want to tell you that I don't believe that time is what is keeping us from drawing near to God. God gave all of humanity 24 hours because 24 hours is sufficient. If you find that you don't have enough time, that's not a supply problem. It's a stewardship problem. 24 hours we're given because 24 hours is enough. I'm going to say, I don't think it's time that's keeping us from drawing close to God. I think trust is. See, some of us, we won't say it, but what we actually struggle with when we think about intimacy with God is trust. Something happened in your life. Or perhaps something didn't happen. There was a place where you needed intervention. You needed the story to go differently, and it didn't happen. And now your world came unraveled in some place, and you're struggling to pick the pieces up. And it's convenient to just say, well, I'm in a season where I can't really look at that right now. Something happened, and it's unresolved. And I want to say, if that's you, that is the most beautiful starting point to build a friendship with God. But we've got to stop blaming time and start looking at a problem with trust. For some of us, I would say, the reason we don't draw close to God, again, we won't say it, but it's because we're scared. We've learned that he's big and distant and different. Maybe we were taught in a fear-based religion, and our emotions don't yet know that he's the perfect love that came to cast out all fear. So I want to ask this question. What would happen if we changed this, this feeling about drawing near to God and, and what we've called spiritual disciplines? What if we just flipped the question? Let me ask you the question a different way. What would it look like today for you to build your life around being friends with God? What would it look like today? Not how much prayer time do you have, not how many Bible chapters did you read, not what are all your impressive spiritual disciplines, not what did you journal, and how many different highlighters do you use, because you know the more highlighters shows you're more holy. Not that. But what would it actually look like today for you to actually become friends with God? And when we change the question, this is what I want to remind you. There's a rule about friendship. It's that intimacy can't be forced, there's no shortcut to depth. I'll tell you what I mean. If somebody came to our church the first morning this morning, and they said, you know what, I like that guy. I like how he preached. I said, thank you so much. And they said, I really like how he preached, I like what he shared, I believe he's a genuine guy. And let's say I shake their hands at the door, and I say, you know what, I just sense a sincerity from this guy. He's really bold and passionate, it's great. And I shook his hand, and while holding his hand, I said, now listen here, here's the way it's gonna work. I think that you're an admirable person. You think I'm an admirable person. You are now my best friend. And now what's going to happen is I'm going to text you every day and check on you. And what I'd like tomorrow morning is please share your deepest fears, worries, and concerns. And we're going to be friends. We're going to be buddies. We're going to hang out all the time. Now, despite a probably bad Google review on our church, we're probably not going to be best friends, are we? Because intimacy cannot be forced. And I want to say this. There, there are some people hearing my voice 
that you've had years of Bible study time, of prayer time, and you don't have friendship with God because what you've presented before him is the spiritual version of somebody else that you think you're supposed to be. You've never let him in to build intimacy. In fact, I want to go further and say for somebody hearing my voice, there, there's somebody that needs to stop using the word prayer altogether because you've turned it into a dry, rigid, formal thing, and you need to move it to, you know what, I'm just going to be friends with God. But at any rate, this idea that we're blaming our time, I'll give you this quote that you can take with you, and it's this, that God will never order any season of your life to be too busy to draw near to him in friendship. You need to know that. You say, I'm in a busy season. Great! <laughs> Jesus was too. The disciples were too. But God will never order any season of your life in such a way to be too busy to draw near him in friendship. Old excuse number two. We talk about being friends with God. Old excuse number two we share is, well, that's why I go to church. See, I come to church, I've made a rhythm in my life. I made a time in my life, and I make it a priority. I come, and I listen. And listen, Pastor Chuck, I don't just listen to you. I listen to Stephen Furtick, and I listen to Elevation Worship. And all through the week, I got my playlist going. But that's why I do those things, because that's where I build friendship with God. For the past 20 years in ministry, I've heard people say this about church. And if this is you, I'm not casting stones, but I am elevating us to go somewhere higher. They say, I come to church because it's my weekly fill-up. I come to church because it's a booster shot in my arm. I come to church so you can feed me. I love how you're feeding me. Coincidentally, one of the reasons people leave church, the main one, is because they're no longer feeding me. I want to say this in love. It is not the job of the church to feed you because you are not called to remain a spiritual infant. It's not the job of the church to feed you. It's the job of the church to equip you to know the bread of life, and how to go and eat. It's not the job of the church to feed you. It's the job of the church to show you where the well is and how to drink so that you can drink of living water as your inheritance all the days of your life. It's not the job of the church to feed you. It is the job of the church to remind you who and whose you are. When a thousand other voices are coming in to recircle together where we remember and the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, we need community, but it's not a replacement for friendship. It's a partner with it. And the job of the church is to send you and I as we run together. I want you to understand, I so rejoice in Pastor Aaron's testimony last night in inner city Tampa in a strip club watching a daughter of God come to faith for the first time. But did you know Pastor Aaron didn't do that because she's Pastor Aaron? She did because she's a daughter of the king. We're all sent ones. We're all called to run. So this idea that it's the job of the church. The reason I go to church is that's where I get friendship with God. It's not going to happen. I want to tell you there are many churches that never get to what I just talked about. Because we keep calling the saints to attend, but not to abide throughout the week. When I was a piano teacher, I had this thing that I would say, and I taught a lot of kids, so I would often say to their parents, because when I talked to the kids, they'd look at me and go, aha, and they didn't get it. And I'd look at the parent and I'd say, listen, I'm here and I'm pouring out everything I've got, but I cannot make up for in my teaching what they won't do with their time. I want to say the same thing before the church of the living God. We've got to stop putting the burden on churches to come up with more creative series, more anointed worship, and we've got to actually start going to the living bread and eating. It is not the responsibility of the church to feed us. Now, one more thing I'll say before I leave this excuse. There's some people who say, yeah, 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 but, but Pastor Chuck, you don't understand. What I mean by that is that the reason I go to church is you talk about this, but I, but I don't know how to have that with God that you talked about. I don't know how to be close with God. And I've heard that one a ton. 
But here's the question I want to ask. Do you have a friend? Have you ever had a friend? Then you know how. See, I want to submit to you that the problem is not that we don't know how to have friendship with God. The problem is that we buried access to God behind religious veils that he already tore down. We come up with all these things that we say we need to do that might not look anything like you and say, you've got to do this in order for it to be legitimate. Which leads me to my third excuse. Old excuse number three. We talk about friendship with God, and what I hear is, yeah, yeah, but I'm not really a reader or an eloquent prayer or an emotional singer. I believe we've done a lot of harm to people who actually love Jesus by elevating a few ways to get close to God as if they were the ways to get close to God. In just a minute, I'm going to give practical advice to help you, some of you for the very first time, to find you. But I want to say this right now. Our goal as Christians is not Bible reading or prayer time or singing or journaling. Each of these have value, but what Jesus wants is to be your best friend. So the only goal for your spiritual life is you discovering what builds friendship with him and learning how to prioritize that above the tyranny of the urgent, period. It's that simple. Now, some of you, in the way this looks, some of you have a high teaching grace. High teaching grace, people, this is what it means. You love to read. You read all kinds of things. You devour it. And your ideal day with Jesus is you read the, the Bible hours a day. You've got your pens. You've got your highlighters. You love reading in the Greek. You love reading in the Hebrew. You make charts. And that's great. But there are others of you that when you get up in the morning, you're looking for one word that could be an anchor for your day. One direction that you're going to return to again and again before meetings and after meetings. And when you're tempted to lose your temper with that one person that's really difficult. And you get this one verse that Jesus says, remember, this is who I am and this is who you are today. And you carry it. And I want you to know that's just as spiritual. It's just friendship with two different personalities. For some of you, you have a high prophetic or artistic grace. If this is you, you love listening to worship music. You've got like 12 Pandora stations at home for all your different worship sets, for how you're feeling that day, how you're accessorized. You'll dance around your living room with banners. You'll get an easel out and paint. But some others of you, music just doesn't move you that way. It just doesn't connect with you the same way. But when you get out working with your hands or you get out in nature, you feel alive. And I want to say to you, that's just as spiritual. For some of you, you're super poetic. So you love to journal, or you love long prayer walks where you can go and reflect and talk through your feelings. Others have a high measure of grace of the apostolic or the evangelistic. You're people of action. You feel like God's talking to you, but it's more like Tom Brady in the huddle of the playoff game, Go Bucks. You feel like there's constant communication. You're constantly giving and exchanging, but it's on the go. And what I want to tell you is that's just as spiritual. We're not looking to build a Bible study plan or a prayer plan or a journaling plan. We're looking for friendship with God. And whatever helps you build friendship with God, when you can build rhythms where you prioritize that above the tyranny of the urgent, it's the most spiritual thing you can do on the planet. So as I've, I've looked at this, this is what I've seen. In every culture, in every era, the pendulum will swing and move where a few of these expressions 
take center stage and we celebrate them, and that's good. But here's the danger. If you're not one of those expressions, if they don't fit you, maybe you've been one of these people that Overflow Church is, is home, and you look at our worship team and you're astounded by their gifts, but you've never been moved by music. And so when you come, you're standing there and you're watching people like crying, like, oh, Jesus is Lord. And the enemy came to you and said, here's the problem. You're not bold enough, or you're not Christian enough, or you're not spiritual enough when maybe that's another veil that we just put up and there's another access point that you have for friendship with God. And you could hold on and thank God for your brother or sister that is in tears going, I know something's happening there, but when I get out on a hike in nature, something happens to me the same way. I can recognize it, but it's different access points. See, what we've got to stop doing is we've got to stop lifting up these boxes and legitimizing these things and formalizing these things and saying, this is the way to get to Jesus. This is the way to get to friendship with God. And who I'm particularly concerned about right now is I'm concerned about men in our culture who do not have an artistic bent. You look at most of the things we celebrate right now post-enlightenment. We're going to celebrate Times Journaling and Reading. Look at, go, in, go in any, um, I was going to say Christian bookstore. They don't have those anymore. Go on Amazon.com and check out the Christian bookstore section. And what you'll see is all of our journaling Bibles and all of our writing Bibles and all of our coloring books because we've made a big honor of that. You'll see the Christian music industry and the worship music industry is multi-billion dollar. Why? Because we've made much of that. The arts, you see the fine arts program growing here. For artistic people, the church has embraced that and we've seen how that's spiritual and how it builds friendship. My concern becomes, if that's not your lens, that the enemy comes to you or even the church comes to you and puts this label or scarlet letter on you to say, then what you have is less spiritual. Please hear me. Your God made you body, soul, and spirit. You are a spirit. You couldn't possibly get more spiritual. Let me tell you a little bit further. Your God who made your heart made your heart to beat for him. You will be restless until you find rest in him. That's not the issue. So if right now you're looking at your friend who's on fire for God, and you go and everything feels dull, dry, and boring, I'd ask one of two questions. One, is there someplace trust broke down? And you need to go as a friend and start building depth by really being you and not dressing it up in flowery language. Or are there some false ways that you've been told you have to do these things in order for it to go? And Jesus needs to kick down the door and demolish those today and say, just do what you do when you come to a friend. See, we were made for friendship with God. And the truth is this, my God is everywhere. He's in every good thing he created. He's just as much the God of the woods that he created as he is this church and this property that he created. You and I can't go two seconds in any direction and not encounter a reflection of the image and the power and the beauty of who he is if we're looking. So if that's true, then we can experience friendship with God just as much in a hike in the woods using your words to him as you can a devotional in your living room with a cup of coffee reading life-giving words about him. And since the only goal is friendship, what he's looking for is to build trust where you'd seek him, where you'd draw near him, where he'd have your ear and he'd have your heart. My wife, Jill, and I, this year we celebrate 20 years of marriage. Which is cool. Now listen, it's in, it's in May, so don't clap yet, but I'm pretty sure she's not going to give up on me. So I think we're going to make it. In 20 years of marriage, Jill and I have made an agreement. And it's this, that we will let many marriages inspire us, but we will let none define us. We're going to look at many other people's marriages and what they did and go, oh, that's good, or that really doesn't fit us. We're going to let many marriages inspire us, but none will define us. 
see it's her and I together that have to find in the unique union that we are what works for us and build deep roots there. Some of you need to do the same thing with God starting right now. Is you've been spending all of your time comparing your success on somebody else's track. You say, I don't like reading. And I don't like writing, and I don't like, and I don't like, and I don't like. Then I want to shift us away from the negative, then to what do we do? If you want to build friendship with God, yes, we've got to stop believing tired old excuses. We've got to stop believing empty promises. And then we've got to start to build. I want to tell you how to do that. First, I have one empty promise I want to share. So there were three excuses, one empty promise. Here's the empty promise that comes. This is the year I get in shape, pursue that dream, get out of debt, really connect with God and go deep in my faith. For some reason, we get really misty-eyed and emotional when the ball drops in Times Square and we think that some pixie dust has dropped and something magical is just going to happen. But for all too many of us, we aren't examining the choices and the silent convictions that lead to life rhythms of what we will do and what we will keep a priority when the tyranny of the urgent comes. So if you want a practical point to take home today, if this has been inspiring you to this point, you're like, yeah, 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 I'm with you. I want friendship with God. What do I do? This is what you need to hear and burn into your brain this week. Until your resolutions become rhythms, they will never be realities. Until your resolutions become rhythms, they will never be realities. What I mean is this. We come to the place where we say, I want friendship with God. I want to get near him. And I say, yay, that's awesome. But until that resolution, that thing you say, I'm resolved to do, this is the year I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it a priority. Until it finds life in real daily rhythms that you will prioritize, that you will keep coming back to. Remember what we said, there's no shortcut to intimacy. You want to build friendship with God, it means you've got to keep showing up and keep being you and allow beauty to take you deep over time. Until your resolution becomes a rhythm, it will never be a reality. And this is what I found within the church. Many of us don't even get to the first step. We get there to the point that we want friendship with God, we hear it, we think of dull, dry, boring spiritual disciplines, and we just get frustrated. But for many, we get past that. And maybe we get a glimpse. Maybe this morning you're breathing and going, oh man, this brings me more to life. Yet this looks more like it. But then what happens is we never put it in a real life rhythm, and then we hyper-spiritualize it. We run up to, to altar calls for prayer that the right person's going to pray for me and really move that rock that now I'm just going to want it. But I need you to understand something. It's just the way God made us. We don't have to hyper-spiritualize this. Until your resolutions become rhythms, they will never be realities. We need to discover, establish, and prioritize regular rhythms where we cultivate friendship with God. That's the only way it becomes real. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. That leads me to my second practical note for us today, and then we're going to pray. We've got to stop believing old excuses and empty promises. And two, we've got to start being in the places we become friends with God. We've got to stop believing old promises, and we've got to start giving ourselves permission right now, saying, no, I'm spiritual. I want him. Friendship's on the table. You got me. Yes. What do I do? I've got to give myself permission to be who he made me to be and to keep showing up. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said this. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The picture here is one of constancy. It's a picture of continual connection. There's another place in the New Testament where it says pray 
continually. You know what it's not advocating for is a 24-hour, round-the-clock prayer time where you just give out words. Jesus said don't give out lengthy prayers. That's not what he's looking for. What's he talking about? He's talking about awareness. He's talking about you being in a frame of mind, getting around the actions and the places where you're most prone to remember who and whose you are. He's talking about rhythms where you regularly walk and you remember. You say, well, how do I know what that is? How do I know what those places are? Let me ask you a few questions. Where is it in your life that the lies and the fears fall off of you? What are the places you go or the things you're doing when you go, yeah, I see more clearly when I'm doing that? Where is it that you're refreshed and encouraged? Maybe you have another friend and you're like, when they do this thing, you've got to remember that friend is only a reflection of your father if what they're doing is bringing you health and life. Where is it you remember who and whose you are? Where is it you get direction for your life? Where do you recalibrate your attitude? Where you move from frustration to hope? I don't know if you remember that that commercial that used to be on the Snickers commercial, you're not you when you're hungry, right? And they would show that person that was just being mean and sarcastic and a jerk, and all of a sudden they take a bite of the Snickers bar and they transform and it's like, "Ah, I'm back. I gotta tell you, after all these years following Jesus, I got plenty of Snickers days, y'all. If you look and go, Pastor Chuck is just positive all the time, talk to my kids. You'll see that's not the case. There wasn't a magic pill or a room I went in where God just went, voila, here it is. No, it's all abiding, it's all friendship. I have plenty of Snickers days. Here's the difference. I found the rhythms where I eat again of the living bread and I'm back. I found the places where I go where I remember my friendship with God. Now, I don't know what they are for you, but I want to give you a picture of what they are for me because I believe we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So for some of you, this is going to match you. And you'll be like, oh, that's it. For some of you, it's just going to give a picture that you're a whole trajectory away from me. But when I share mine, you're like, oh, that can count? If that counts, then I'm a whole lot more spiritual than I thought. (laughs) I have four places that I regularly, four words for my life. If you want to know, how does Chuck build friendship with Jesus? You ready? Here it is. Running, walking, reading, writing. Those are my four. Running, walking, reading, writing. And I'll explain to you exactly what I mean. I'm one of those weird freaks that loves to run. That's my first one. I don't know why, but I do. And when I get out in the midst of the nature and I see, I see trees and I see flowers, some mornings I'm getting up, I run every morning. And I get up when the sun is coming up and I get to see it come over the clouds. Other times I'll run in the evenings and I get to watch the sun set and I get to watch the moon and the stars come out. And we're out enough in the country that I get to see just the majesty of creation. But then as I'm running, we're enough in a domesticated place that I get to run past tons of houses of my neighbors. And I see houses of every different shape and size and different lots. And I see kids playing outside. And I see all of these stories, this God that is so grand and yet so personal. And in those moments, I come awake. I come alive. Something in me is inspired to remember. And I just reflect upon him. Now, I want to tell you what that means, though. For some of you, are like, wow, Pastor Chuck can have a a deep prayer life while he's running. No, listen, in this 42-year-old frame, there's no talking or praying coming out of my mouth when I'm running. I'm just focusing on my feet, keep going. If there's a prayer, it's, dear Jesus, don't let me faint in this place. Most of that time, I'm just reflecting. I'm just taking in. But I'm inspired. And so after the time that I run, I go into a time just of walking, just walking in my neighborhood. I'm a verbal processor. So for me, if you've ever had an opportunity, I'm one who walks and talks. If you've ever seen me talk on the phone, it's like a comedy routine because I just can't stand still. If I am 
If I am talking, I am walking. That's why for some of you, the greatest gift that was ever purchased for Overflow Church is this table and this stool. Because you're like, it's the only time that he stops walking up here. He's getting his entire steps for the day in the middle of his message. I walk and I talk. And so when I realize that's who I am, listen, that doesn't make me right. It just makes me me. So when I realize I'm a verbal processor, oh, then I'm going to take that into my friendship with God because that's what I do with all my friends on earth. I have very patient friends on earth. Jill can tell you, I have a lot of words. I talk a lot. I talk through things a lot. Some people say, why are his messages so long? Sometimes I'm just talking myself to the conclusion, y'all. No, I'm just kidding. I know where we're going most times by the time we get here. I'm a simple man. And so I have a very simple prayer life. Some of you are thinking like, oh, I see Pastor Chuck, and man, the life he must have, it must just be this really inspiring prayer life. No, simple prayer life. Four words, you ready? Palms down, palms up. You want to know my entire prayer life with God? Palms down, palms up. Here's what I mean. While I'm walking with God, the first thing that comes to my mind is palms down. This is my place where I'm just releasing whatever is going on. The Bible says to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So literally, I get done running, and the first thing I think is palms down. And in that moment, while I'm walking, I begin just to tell God what is on my heart. I tell him where I'm stressed. I tell him what I'm scared or nervous about. I tell him what I'm excited about for the week to come. I tell him places I'm overwhelmed. I talk to him about my wife and my kids. I talk to him about my disappointments and myself. I talk to him about my goals and my dreams and my questions. And here's the key. I don't dress it up in in syrupy spiritual language. I talk to God exactly like I talk to my friends. I'm me with whatever is on my heart until I have nothing left that I care to say. It's that simple. Palms down. And then I shift. And I think palms up. This is where I receive. This is where I stop talking. And while I'm walking, I just ask this simple question, y'all. It takes less than five seconds. God, what do you want to say to me? God, what do you want to say to me? I've poured out. I've told you all these things. What do you want to say? And then as I'm walking, I just make a little bit of space to listen. I have a note app on my phone that I've titled Prayer Listening. Because there's enough days as I've gone with God that as I start listening, he starts saying things that I feel like I'm going to need to remember. So right in that moment when I'm walking, I'll just stop on the path and I'll write down what it is I'm hearing. Whenever I sense there's something important to remember, I write it down. But please hear me. My goal is not to get an entry for every day so I can give you these wonderful revelations of everything God said. My goal is friendship. So the only thing I'm doing when I'm palms up is what do you want to say? I'm not trying to make him say stuff. I'm not trying to make it spiritual. I'm just availing myself to listen. And then whatever I hear, to the best of my ability, from my present maturity, I do whatever he says. That's it. So what what does your big spiritual life look like? I go for a run where I remember how great he is. I don't even have to try to do that. That's just the environment where I become awake and alive again. And then after I run, while I'm having to catch my breath anyway, I go for a walk. And in non-flowery language, I tell him my heart. And then I just create some space for him to tell me his. The other two places where I come alive with God is reading. Once again, I'm one of these people that just loves reading. If you talk to my middle school and high school teachers, they would tell you that alone is a miracle proving the existence of God. (laughs) Some of them were not even sure I knew how to read based on my work ethic in middle school and high school. 
But I love reading. When I'm reading and I'm, I just have this, this curiosity about God and life and the world, and I just come alive, and people of any age and any walk, I just want to hear what they've seen. So when I run, I listen to audiobooks. I also create some time in my week just because I love reading. I don't do it because it's spiritual. Some of you are like, I hate reading. Then don't do it. Except for Life in the Overflow. It's a book by Chuck Ammons <laughs> that I would encourage you. And we also have it on audiobook, which is available on Amazon.com right now. I read because I love reading. I make space for it because when we make a priority, when we make a rhythm, then something can become a reality. The last one is this, guys, and it's really simple. I don't have anything profound to share with you here. And maybe that's the hope. The last one is, as a verbal processor, as I talk through my feelings a lot, then I get revelation. If you haven't been able to tell my whole life, I'm a communicator. Some people, when they go and preach and they go and share, they're exhausted. This fires me up. This fuels me for the rest of my day. So when God speaks to me, I need an outlet where I could just start to share the exciting things he's saying. And so I've made space just to write. And I can't explain it, but when I make space to write, and not for a deadline for this book or that project or this thing, but God, whatever you're saying, whatever you're pouring out, I'm just going to make space, and I'm going to allow myself to permission for being without having to attach some fruit to this of something it needs to result in. You're the destination. You're already pleased. Friendship is my goal. Again, it doesn't make me right. It just makes me, me. And here's the truth right now. God has a path for your life that what he's made for you is friendship with him. It's on the table. You can walk as a friendship, as, as a friend of God, but there's no shortcut to it. And the way you're going to find it is different than mine. And it's not just that Jesus is okay with that. That's how God made you. For some of us, we've got to kick down these spiritual boxes that we've put up to say that God's in this place and not in that place. The God of creation is in all of creation. He's much bigger than we've ever given him credit for. And if there's something that helps you to breathe again and remember again, then it's an invitation that God wants you to make a rhythm in your life so that it will become a reality. One last thing I want to say, and then we're going to pray. As important as it is to know what fuels us and what fires us up, it's just as important to understand the things that spend us and exhaust us. I'm going to tell you when you're in the midst of those, and as far as I can tell at the start of 2022, pretty much 8 billion people on the planet are in the midst of, of seasons right now that feel like they're spending us and exhausting us. Amen? If you're in that, I want to say this. Your need for focused time with Jesus, because normally that's when we pull back. I'm in a busy season. I won't do it. No, your need for focused time with Jesus goes up during those seasons. I want to give you just one verse. The Bible talks about this a lot but there's one that I want to close with. Jesus and the disciples were together, and it says this in Mark chapter 6. It says, because so many people were coming and going, the disciples didn't even have a chance to eat. Now, I know there's a, there's a mom somewhere in the room that's like, oh, hallelujah, I know what days feel like like that, that so much is going on, I don't even get a chance to eat. Listen to what it says. Jesus said to them, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. For somebody hearing my voice, that's you. You're running hard and the things that you're building is good, but you are so busy, you're wearing out. You're losing your joy and you're losing your strength. And more than anything else I've shared today, you need to hear four words from Jesus. Come away with me. You and I were made to be friends with God. We've been given a gift of a life and a gift of time and we have enough. If you're breathing, you still have enough. The invitation is to be a friend. But there's no shortcut. There's no quick fix, and that's really good. 
because the best things I've ever seen in my life are things that are built over time. So the question I want to leave us with this morning is this. Where is it time for you to move being friends with God from a resolution into reality? Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask if you would just, as you stand, if you'd close your eyes for just a minute. And this is the time. These next five minutes, we want to take what we've heard from our head to our heart to our feet. So I'm going to ask as you're standing, if you just close your eyes, and I'm going to ask a few questions. The first question I want to ask is this. Where is it time to lay down the excuse that you're just too busy? Every person in the room, I want to encourage you to take your hand and put it on your heart. And I want you to speak this to your soul right now. Say, you have enough time. You have enough time. For somebody, you're lamenting dreams that haven't come. You feel like you missed your prime. You need to say over your soul right now, you still have enough time. For somebody hearing my voice, this morning is the morning. You need to be done believing that you're less spiritual than somebody else. God made you as a spirit and your heart has been made to long for him. You can't help yourself. There are certain places you come and you become inspired and alive and you remember. And friendship is just intentionally choosing to make a priority of the rhythms of being in those places. If that's you with your hand on your heart, would you just say this? I'm done following everybody else's map. I'm done following everybody else's to-do steps. I'm done following everybody else's plan. It's enough to be me. It's good to be me. Somebody, would you say, God, would you show me right now what friendship with you looks like? I want to encourage you. What is it you do with your friends? Your friends you're really close to. I'm talking about not just acquaintances. I'm talking about the deep relationships, y'all. Talk about those 3 a.m. friends, those when you get in a crisis, you're going to pick up the phone, you're going to call them. I'm talking about those that you have a myriad of memories because you've walked the peaks and the valleys together. Who are you with your friends? That's who you're supposed to be with your father. I would ask you this morning, where is it that lies and fears fall away from you? And what rhythms do you need to, to build into your life to be there? Maybe you're one of those going, yeah, I need to walk. I need some time. I need some space. And I want to tell you guys, when I found these things, I have made them appointments in my calendar because they are. I'm meeting with Jesus right now. That's just as important as when I say I have a meeting with Pastor Chris. So I put it on my calendar and I protect it because friendship with God is my greatest privilege. So it's my joy to make it my greatest priority. So this is what I want to ask this morning. What's one step? What's one rhythm? What's one movement? What's one place of focus? What's one thing you can lay down and one thing you can pick up so that you walk more intentionally in friendship with God this week? I want to challenge you. Sometimes what happens is we hear messages like this and we get all fired up. We go, okay, here it is. I'm going to read the Bible in three languages in the next three months. And I'm going to travel to every country and be a missionary. And I'm going to, and before we know it, we can never get out the gate. Listen, you need to run at a sustainable pace. 
so you don't quit, so you don't burn out. You don't need to be in a hurry to run anywhere. Jesus is your destination and he's already pleased. But if you want friendship with God, it starts by you being open, real, honest, palms down. Here's what's really on my heart. Palms up. What do you want to say to me? I'm asking right now in this moment, Father, that you would translate this message into the needs of every heart. I'm asking that you would give a clear picture to each person hearing my voice, that each person would know, ah, this is what I'm supposed to do with that. I'm asking right now that years of shame and guilt and I'm broken and I'm not doing it right would fall away. We come against those curses in Jesus' name. I'm asking that you be the lifter of your children's heads, that they hear this not as another thing to do, but permission to breathe, permission to be. I'm asking for wisdom, Father, right now. For your life right now as you pray, I'm asking the Father to give you wisdom to know tangibly the things that he wants you to pick up and do. For me, I know my best hours are in the morning. And so I get up early in the morning and I run. It's when I think clearest. It's when I feel most alive. That doesn't make me more spiritual. It just makes me me. I'm asking the Father to show you you so you know how to step in. I'm asking right now for encouragement, for peace, for grace, that he'd carry you and that you would not despise small beginnings. That in that step that you would take today to say, okay, I'm ready to be your friend, God that you look at that and rejoice, even if it just feels like you've moved two inches down the lane. Father, I thank you that you're gonna carry us. Right now we say that we desire to be friends with you. Would you just tell him that? Yes, Lord, I wanna be your friend. Yes, Lord, show me how to be your friend. May we go deep over time. Lord, may that resolution result in rhythms that would lead it for all of our days to be a reality. So stay with